0: Hey there, Ghoul Gang. It's Tyler coming at you with another correspondence episode. Now, I do want to be honest for a couple of things here. I did record this episode back in like March, I think. Um, it was a long time ago. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I had a baby. <laughs> So uh, some things got out of hand and I wasn't able to continue to do my correspondence episodes, which sucked. But I was able to get this one down with Mason Allen, uh, who is a very chill, very cool and very intelligent person. And I hope that you guys will enjoy this conversation. Here's the second uh, confession. Mason, this one's more for you. I didn't start recording for like five minutes so um this is basically where we pick up uh you can check out mason's work on TikTok, um as well as um the books that he has for sale uh as well as the uh, D&D, uh supplementary things that he is putting out there all of the links will be in the description so if you like mason's uh voice and ideas then uh go check his stuff out for sure and support a, an indie artist and creator. I hope you guys are having a, a cool, cool, um, almost Halloween, which is how I, you know, I basically frame everything in my world as post Halloween, not Halloween. God, it's hot. I wish it was Halloween. And then almost Halloween. And I think we're in the transition period now where we are in the almost Halloween part of the of the year uh, of course there is the halloween part of the of the year which starts september 1st obviously <laughs> goes until november 3rd um don't ask me why the two days in november are still halloween it's usually for um personal reasons um you know don't i don't i don't want to get into it. it's drinking lots of drinking i'm joking i don't drink that much Anyway, with that being said, make sure you submit your flash fiction stories to between or I'm sorry at I'm going to just stop. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I've had a son and my brain is a little cooked. Um, make sure you submit your flash fiction stories to Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com. Uh, 500 to 700 words and uh, make it spooky, scary, silly or, you know, just creepy and uh the top 13 stories will be read on our show and then the rest we're gonna try and figure out what to do with them so make sure you keep an ear out enjoy this uh this great conversation cool gang if
1: there's anything i can tell you It's that the best place to hide is in your mind <laughs>
0: So, yeah, so, I, I mean, obviously, I discovered you on TikTok. Uh, we, we joined a, a Discord together. So what brought you to TikTok, and what was it about the the D&D community there that really kind of attracted you to it? That is
1: a great question. I think uh, D&D is what brought me to TikTok. Mm. Um, I had stayed away from it for a prolonged period of time. Um I think um, on some level, kind of, some of the bad press that TikTok gets is what kept me away from it as long as I stayed away. Um, But as time went on, I just saw more and more kind of D and D TikTok stuff filtering through the internet to arrive on Reddit or on Twitter uh, or on Instagram, all of which I was already on, Um, and I've, I've, uh, I'm recent how to say this i'm relatively recent to dungeons and dragons compared to many people who have been kind of with the hobby for decades and decades Mm. i've only been a dm for uh four going on five years now uh, which is you know less recent than some but more recent than many many others sure Uh, but i really really enjoy it and like it a lot it's kind of a blend of a lot of my favorite things Um, And so when I saw how much D&D stuff was coming out of TikTok, um, I really couldn't find a great reason not to join the platform, at least as a consumer. But then uh, as time kind of went on, there were enough interesting conversations going on there that I kind of wanted to participate in. And so that's kind of what got me making them as well.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. Once you start seeing other people throwing out their either their jokes or their opinions on stuff it's really hard not to throw yours in as well you know just to kind of have find your own voice in that and I know for me like being able to say oh this is for my podcast was very very easy for me to like justify doing it it you know because I still it's I don't feel qualified enough to be on TikTok, right? Like just me as Tyler and so I need to find uh, another reason and and uh so having the D&D podcast I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm totally just marketing, but really it's just me being a big old dummy."
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think uh as a social media platform, TikTok occupies like this interesting space kind of in between Twitter and YouTube, right? Where yeah. it's like you kind of can put your face in front of people, but also uh, you don't maybe need to foot as much of a bill for like really nice camera equipment and things like that to look good on YouTube. Um, And so I feel like it's kind of that nice in-between spot that does work really well for marketing, but also people can kind of just go on there and talk about whatever they're thinking.
0: Yeah, and I mean quickly too, right? Like... Oh, this is what uh, you said. Something. Let me respond with this, and then it's out in the ether, and that that gets kind of scary, honestly, for me. Like, I know I've put things in my draft because I'll I'll say something, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to put that out in the world right away. I'm gonna sit on that for a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, it definitely kind of like enables conversations, um, and it's kind of to use Twitter as a comparison as well. Like there's definitely plenty of very intelligent people who record stuff and let it sit in the drafts. Yeah. Um and probably like intelligently so. And then there's the the occasional individual who's just out there giving every oh, yeah. take. Right. And uh and that works out for the rest of us because then we have something to talk <laughs> about.
0: Yeah, I know uh, there was a, a video that you did a while back where you were talking about um, like Jesus within the Marvel Universe. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it was a whole conversation I think you were having. And I had re- like I was like working through it in my head and I was like writing it out as comments on your video. And then I was like, why am I doing this? This shouldn't be like a public thought process. I should go into my own like my own drive and I'll, I'll type it out. And then if, if I think this is good enough, then I'll respond. So I ended up deleting all of these comments as quickly as I could. Cause I was like, I don't want the world to see these thoughts.
1: Yeah. 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 Particularly uh, when it's in regards to something as sensitive as like, you know, a religious Religion, figure yeah, uh, that a lot of people feel very powerfully about. And then also a, uh, a, a, IP and IP, I guess, would be the better way to say that. And IP that a lot of people also at the moment yeah, feel extremely buried. passionate about. Absolutely. Um yeah, yeah. A very particular intersection that could
0: be really great, <laughs> but also
1: could be really
0: dangerous. There's a lot of obstacles to avoid there. And and yeah, I it's right up my alley of things I love to talk about, and I'm 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 very open about my beliefs and my religion on this show, particularly, you know, it's, and so, uh, I never have a problem with talking about things, but in the context of that, where it's like, you just threw out your opinion. I don't, I don't need to tell you what my opinion is, you know, like stopping yourself from doing that, I think is really important nowadays when it's so easy to just throw it out.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, To uh, to talk about another thing that I really like, uh, Bo Burnham's Inside Special, uh, which is just amazing, right? Um, And I think maybe a little underserviced by being labeled as a comedy special. Um, But his whole moment where he's like, "Can anyone just shut up?" Yeah, right, like that. He he kind of has like that one minute bit where it's just basically him over and over, just kind of saying just shut up.
0: Yeah. Can we not um, spread kind of every single point?
1: thought? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, and like, it is really kind of a little bit of a challenge in this day because so much has been set up to like, chemically um, encourage through like, dopamine hits and things like that. Yeah. Just like, induce people into saying everything they think. Um, so it is like, it's like, uh as as dumb as I may sound saying it, it is kind of like a little bit of a of a thing to be applauded uh to be a master over yourself enough to just not say yeah, everything
0: to to shut up. I I agree completely and it and it is. I mean there's a real proof that you know it social media utilizes the same techniques that casinos do with gambling. And I mean, going all the way back to when we used to be hunters and gatherers and you would wait and wait and then you'd get that precious moment of reward for your weight. And that dopamine hit is the same uh, then as it is now when you throw something on the Internet and you are waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to respond. Um, and the only difference is back then you get rewarded with food and survival and now you get rewarded with basically nothing and so then it causes depression within the brain and then we all want to just kill ourselves because what's the point
1: yeah yeah we really have uh, as as a culture as a society as consumers uh, um, we really have done a great job of kind of building for ourselves um, gilded castles made from nothing, right? Um, yeah. Where where we chase these uh, kind of meaningless tokens, these meaningless rewards that at the end of it don't really do a lot for us. Yeah, um, and I say that as someone who like does that, right? Like <laughs> yeah, we're I'm... both
0: we're both on the social media sites doing the things. <laughs> yeah we're we're
1: out here so it's hardly like i'm looking out on the world thinking oh the helpless peons or Mm -hmm. what have you but like i'm i'm just as much a problem as anybody
0: else is for sure well this has turned into a great episode really good audio (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, people came for books and they got social media uh problems with society it's great yep 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 very existential beginning for sure (laughs) um and uh if you're if we have fans who are not nihilists and they're not fulfilled i guess we'll move on to uh some books (laughs) um so uh mason i know i have seen it a couple times you've written it a couple times you have a hard time with like favorites with like picking and choosing
1: i really do so
0: um where do we land on uh on top top books top stories where are we at with that
1: that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, at the moment, uh, I am currently on my way through Dune for the first time. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't think it probably, like we said, I have a hard time with favorites. It probably won't be the favorite, but it'll probably be up on that list. I've been really impressed by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been enjoying that quite a bit. Um, I also. Man, I was thinking about this in preparation, and I'm still having a hard time with it.
0: Um, <laughs> so for some people, it's just not an easy, you know, like this is my favorite, and I get that. And and I'm with you where like Dune. It's crazy. I feel like Dune is having a renaissance because of the movie. Um, but it's like a legitimate, like people are starting to read it and go, oh, holy shit! Like this is such a epic story. This is so big. Um, yeah. and profound and, uh, and I, and I genuinely, I, you know, like I had a reaction to it when I read it. Um, listeners of our show know I, I had a, a real, um, like crisis of, am I going to be a writer in the future or am I, am I just not? Because this yeah. book makes it really hard to think I'm ever going to be a good writer. Um, <laughs> so you know, I had to get past that and it was it was huge for me and I've I've read a lot from a lot of different authors. I've seen their lives and Frank Herbert, he had an effect on me, dude.
1: Yeah. 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 It's it's really a remarkable work for sure. Um as many people have said, it's very much kind of like a work of its time, but I think it's still an excellent work regardless. Um and there is kind of to the point of what you're saying, like I think there's a little bit of narcissism to anybody uh who like um, anybody who kind of like creates, right? Like the thought of I have something to give the world is like super cocky, right? Yeah. Um, and and Frank Herbert's definitely one of those writers where like while you're kind of going through his material, it's like, oh man, like <laughs> do I? Do yeah. I actually have anything to <laughs> offer? Um, yeah, I'm also, I'm in the, I just barely... Uh, got a brand spanking new copy of Dracula from um, Barnes & Noble. It's leather bound with red leather and like all this. It's it's a gorgeous book. And I really like that story quite a bit. It's a classic for a reason, I think. Um, so that would probably be up there as well um, on favorites. I think also um, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, not very, not very unique, not very special there. I was the, the context, the background for that for me was, um, I grew up in a house, um, with, oh man, I'm trying to think about how to, how best to word this. Um, I have, um, I have a remarkable and great relationship with both of my parents, which I'm really, really grateful for. Um, I also look back and recognize that, like, the home that I was raised in was very much kind of focused on uh, protecting me yeah. from the things outside of my home, mm. right? Um, and one of the ways that that manifested was, like, we didn't, like, PG-13 movies, nobody watched them until we were 13, mm. kind of thing. Um, and that, of course, softened as time went on. I'm the oldest of the kids in my family. And so the younger kids benefited from me wearing down my parents and the kids after me wearing down my parents. Uh, but as I was growing up, um, the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out and I wasn't 13 yet, but I really wanted to watch them. Yeah. Um, and so my parents made a deal, I think because they thought I wouldn't follow through, but they were <laughs> like, hey, if you read these books, if you read these books, you can watch the movies. And so in fifth grade, I burned through the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, wow. Uh, and and then I was like, all right, pay up. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go see the movie.
0: You showed up in the theater and you're like, the hell, Peter Jackson? Where's all the talking about the tables and the rooms? I don't care. Wait a second. Where's my
1: Tom Bombadil? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I need an entire movie dedicated to telling me about the small things. It's happening here action no thank you sir give me the small minute details in world building please come on <laughs> yeah um, it's it's funny because yeah. i like i was super into um lord of the rings the movies i, I mean mm. i knew i knew that they were books because i watched the cartoons as a kid like those really bad like with actual actors in it but then it's like rotoscoped um, yeah, yeah. Uh, cartoons and so I knew about them and I knew even what the stories were for the most part even though the Lord of the Rings cartoons didn't get finished and so when the movies came out I was like ah whatever not a big deal and then I got into it and I was like oh This is, this is my life now. This is everything I want to be. And then like the, the one, two sucker punch was right after that. My dad had his high school best friend come and run D and D for us. And I was like, okay, so my life is Mm. over. This is it that I'm going to be Aragorn now. And I'm never going to, never going to do anything again.
1: I've arrived. I've arrived. There's no need for me to go anywhere but here. Yeah. 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 That and, is complete.
0: And then like, I don't know if it was just that, that time period. And if it was all coincidence or not, but then like my brother, my, my older brother's a half sibling. So he would spend most of his time with his mom. He would come over on the weekends and he'd bring his Xbox, which was huge. Cause we only had a N64 at the time. And one weekend he brought his Xbox and this brand new game called Morrowind. And He's like, dude, this game was great because you can go anywhere you want. And I mean, what do you mean you can go anywhere you want? And he's like, you can go anywhere you want. It's like I can go to that mountain. Yeah, if you want to walk for the next three hours, you can go to that mountain, dude. And I did, <laughs> and like, it was it was yeah. great.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early two thousands definitely kind of did something as far as like uh, kind of a new a new step, uh, in that kind of grand escape, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I also, um, I don't know. I don't know if I don't, um, know what other people think about this, but I also think that, oh, wow. Sorry. There's a thunderstorm going on. Is that what that was? That That was
0: thunder. That's dope.
1: Yeah. 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 We don't get a lot of storms here in Utah. So when we do, I'm just thrilled. Yeah. So, uh, anyway like I was saying I I sometimes wonder about the timing of the release of the Lord of the Rings movies as well sorry coming back to this um, because they released right around uh, the time of 9/11 right mm-hmm. which like you look at a lot of popular media in that era um, a lot of like comic books a lot of even like superhero movies following that and things like that a lot of things really kind of broke dark. Um, for very understandable reasons, right? Yeah. Like kind of very disillusioned. Um, you've got uh, Jack Bauer interrogating <laughs> uh, interrogating terrorists on primetime TV and things like that. And in the middle of that, like here's this movie trilogy that very much kind of like affirms good. Yeah. Right. And, and is very optimistic and believes um, in greater things to come. Yeah. Um I sometimes think about like the kind of uh the kind of beauty of that timing a little bit.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's pretty crazy that like we as as young people kind of had that that out because we could have been completely disillusioned to the the magic of the world at that young age because of that. Kind of the same way that I think a lot of young people are being disillusioned to the world right now. And there's a lot of things like I wish that we had happier stuff right now that was coming out because Dune is, you know, one of the biggest, I guess the only thing comparable is Spider-Man, right? Like Spider-Man coming out and that it's a more positive outlook, but even then it still has a a sad ending kind of ish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very sacrificial conclusion.
0: Yeah. And, and so it's like, where, where do the young people nowadays find their their lord of the rings their their little beacon of hope um it's it's kind of scary to be honest now that i'm thinking about it like eh, like it's it's scary it's dark it's a dark world out there there's not a lot of light yeah
1: yeah i think they're like speaking of kind of uh creativity and like putting stuff into the world i think there definitely is kind of like a um a responsibility on some level, um, with, uh, like content creators, even just like, uh, writers, artists, and, and just the average individual interacting with people on the internet, right? Like, um, it is really, we, we really live in a time where it's very easy to be kind of the bitter part of the world, and for you to just kind of be written off as like yet another of the masses, right? You're just another troll Hmm. um, or you're just like another toxic fan or things like that. Um, I think it's very easy to kind of be the problem, Um, but it's definitely like very much a time where like more than ever, I think it is within everyone's hands to be a bit of the solution, right? Like if you're just decent on the internet and treat people politely, like I have had people uh thank me for that which is insane because it's the barest minimum right um but i think there is kind of like a uh an opportunity and on some level kind of like a responsibility both as just like someone interacting on the internet and also like as an artist put happy things out there for sure for sure
0: yeah which um sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i agree i i I think You know, it depends on on where your art is calling you, right? Because maybe you are just that cynical voice and that's what you're trying to put out. But I I do think that, you know, uh, for me at least, what I'm called to is entertaining people and and trying to uplift people as best I can Um, because that's ultimately what I want. I want to read stories that make me happy. You know, I want to read... I want to see movies that I can walk out and be like, I can't wait to see that again. You know, I, um, I can't remember the last, there was a movie I watched recently where I was like, all right, well, I, am glad I saw it, but I probably, I'll probably never watch that again. Cause that was awful. <laughs> you know, like it was good, but it was awful. I don't, I don't want to put that into the world too much. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. There,
1: during all of this, I've been thinking a lot about um, about the books that I've written so far and about the stuff that I'm currently wa- working on. Uh, those who listen, who have read uh, the Rebellion books that are currently out, the world portrayed in those books is not a particularly like happy world, right? Sure. Um, it, it's It very much kind of borrows a lot from like um dystopic and post-apocalyptic uh fiction some cyberpunk stuff as well which also is like pretty bleak a lot of the time yeah um and i think there is uh there's kind of like a line uh that i try to walk um as as a writer and as uh just kind of like a creative person uh when i'm telling stories which i think um i I'll be honest, I don't know if I always nail it, um, but it's something that I aspire to where I feel like there are, I think the thing that I love a lot about Lord of the Rings is it does not tell you everything's okay, right? Like it is it is a very, if, if you kind of bring in the scope of everything, it's a pretty dark world in some ways, right? Like you've yeah. got Melkor out here who's like a massive, almost unending power of darkness. Yep. Um, you've got Sauron, uh, who comes after, uh, who's also also just like an almost um, insurmountable power of darkness. Um, Elrond at one point describes the scope of history um, as like a series of defeats and meaningless victories, right? So like it's definitely not a book series or or a world uh, that paints the rosiest of pictures. But in the face of that in spite of that there is decency there is courage there is bravery there is camaraderie and it makes me really emotional um and i think that's like kind of a line that i try to walk Mm. where um uh where you try to be honest about the difficulties and the realities of the world that are bleak and are hard and are difficult uh but also try and show within that still a belief that people can be good in the face of it, that people can uh, choose good in the face of it um, and be a positive influence on the world around them. Um, And uh, that's, that's kind of a big goal of mine uh, with the rebellion series and also with the fantasy book that I'm currently writing and oftentimes
0: uh, with my D and D games that's amazing man I mean it's it's so cool to see that because you know to be honest I, I've never looked at Lord of the Rings from that perspective of you know the the darkness and, and all of that and finding the good is just being the good right and, and all yeah. that and I love I absolutely love that it's I mean it goes back to kind of what uh, C.S. Lewis talks about in um, The Great Divorce where it's like when you get to the afterlife and you look back at the world, if you had always thought that it was like hell, then you're going to realize it was. And if you always thought it was a bit of heaven, then you're going to realize it always was, you know, and and it's, it's the mindset. It's what you do with the life that you're given and where you find your joy. That's where you're going to end up. And I, and I absolutely love that. I I resonate with that quite a bit. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, man. I think I think it's really true. Um, I also kind of uh, to what you were alluding to earlier. I'm also a fairly religious person. Uh, I'm I'm Christian, um, and I think. Um, there are lots of ways to take that particular kind of belief system um, and lots of the ways that that particular belief system over the course of history, I think anyone can acknowledge have been like pretty problematic and kind of like hurtful for the whole, right? Yeah. Um, and I think on some level, kind of the condemnation of like the opiate of the masses in the past, um, in many cases is accurate, right? Like many yeah. people kind of like use... Uh, belief systems of an afterlife to kind of satiate um, themselves in a very difficult present right yeah Uh, but I think there is kind of like another perspective uh, to have kind of on these um, on religious systems that kind of have you looking forward uh, to a better world or to something else where instead of simply kind of like white knuckling your way through life hoping that you go to heaven um, there is kind of the alternative view, which which I would like to think I subscribe to, where instead of white knuckling and things like that, instead you try and bring that heaven here as best as you can, right? Um, for for the benefit of the people around you, even if they don't necessarily subscribe to that belief. Yeah. Um, try try and bring as much of the ideal that you hope and dream for uh, into this present. Um,
0: uh, and recognize yeah, at the same
1: great. time sorry sorry no you go
0: you go i was just i was just agreeing with you man I, I i think you're you're absolutely right um i'm i we don't need to turn this into uh lewis and lovecraft uh you know theology hour i would love to uh but i think we'd lose uh some listeners who are like ah sure i, I talk about yeah, yeah. i talk about my stuff all the time I'm, i'm very open about it um but like i do agree with you that it is It is up to us to be in the world, be that light in the world and not this burning light that, you know, perishes away all sins and and unworthiness. It's no, it's just heal. It's just be good and and do what you can and create that. Exactly what you said. Create that sense of heaven that you aspire to be within one day, Um, because that's ultimately what we are called to do. Right. Go forth and do good works and, you know, and, and honor God and other, honor other people. It's super simple. And, uh, and so I, I think that that's a big part of like my journey has always been or not always my journey has been at least for the last like 10 years. Like, is it real for me it, it, or is it just something that I was taught and really trying mm-hmm. to come to those conclusions and figure out where's that bottom line, so that I can be honest and be real with people and it's not a fake you know word coming out of my mouth it is when when I can help people it is real it is true and honest uh, so I, I I believe you're absolutely right and that's honestly why I started this podcast because I wanted to find that in literature in the books that I've read and, and the authors that have lived their lives I want to see where that, it all shakes up and where where it kind of comes together.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um to pivot a little bit but kind of stay in the same vein cuz like you said this isn't necessarily theology hour. Um I think also this is what I really like about the the Hellboy series and the Magnolia verse as well, right? Which yeah, the listeners won't be able to see but you've got a bunch of awesome Hellboy comics behind you. Um, I think a lot of what I love about that particular kind of like universe is it is really brutal and like a lot of the characters do face really difficult ends and impossible situations and also like a lot of questions about whether or not they are good, right? Um, Hellboy is a devil from hell. Um, as Abe Sapien kind of goes through life, uh, he has to face a bunch of questions about like, is he as human as he would like to be? Um, or is he actually kind of like a monster and a little bit of like kind of a herald of the end of all things. Mm. Um, a whole bunch of characters kind of have to face questions like that. Um, and yet in in the face of the end of the world, they still do their best and still try to be good.
0: I'm still on uh, book one of uh, plague of frogs so I haven't gotten into ape Sapien stuff too much um, nice yeah I won't
1: say too much about it because yeah. I don't want to spoil it for you but I I think that kind of question of like hey actually good or am I actually the problem and I didn't know it the whole time yeah um, is like a running theme for a lot of the characters in that universe sure
0: and I mean I, I yeah. what I what I enjoyed I think I enjoyed the art of um Hellboy the most right away like Seeds of Destruction there was a lot of um there was a lack of communication from the writer um and you know there's like there's times where you're like wait why is this happening why are we doing this but the art keeps you going and you're like oh but that's a really pretty panel and I want to see what comes next and it's worth continuing and by the time we get to the Wild Hunt we he is he's become a really good storyteller and he's able to use the panels uh, a lot more proficiently so that we can get the whole story. And what I love about those three arcs, the seeds of destruction, um, the tides of something, and then the wild hunt, you know the first two we see it over and over and over again hellboy is denying this you know this hell side of him this you're not going to tell me what to do i'm going to do what i want to do and it's always geared towards him becoming the destructor of the world the the one who brings on uh ragnarok and, and the end of times and and then in wild hunt we have that that flip right where it's um oh no now you're the the heir of king arthur you are the savior of all people and he goes no i don't want to be that i just want to i just want to do my thing and i'll help people when they need help but i you're not going to tell me what i am and i think that when i got to that point in the comics i realized that it's my it's my that this is my favorite comic book character because of that that consistency first of all and and then the the struggle that he goes through is not choosing good or bad it's let everyone else do what they want to do just don't involve me and I, and I'm going to do me you know and and I you don't see that a lot in in the in, in anything it's usually like oh I got to get ripped in, roped into this because now this is the good thing and this is the bad thing and and I really like that um yeah you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I absolutely being, agree. being good
0: on I your absolutely. own terms. I think that's what it is. I think that's what I to boil it all down, distill it all down. Being a good person on your own terms, not not justifying it because of what other people expect from you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you... I think he's a really good, uh, a really good example of um, defining your own worldview. Yeah. Instead of letting other people put it on to you. Basically, I'm just saying exactly what you just said
0: <laughs> in a different way. It works. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. Did you watch and or like the uh, most recent Hellboy movie?
1: I haven't watched it yet. I was really excited for it. I was really excited for it. I like David Harbour a lot. Yep. I'm very happy about how things are going for him right now. I think he's a great actor. Uh, and, as far as I can tell, right, like it's definitely a parasocial relationship. But as far as I can tell, seems to be a fairly decent individual. Um, and so, seeing him get the part um, and having it be a part that I care so much about, I was really excited for it. And then when it released and just got eviscerated yeah. by everyone, I was. It, it was. It was kind of a Humpty Dumpty fall. Like yeah. it was, I, I had let my hopes get up really high.
0: Yeah, man. It's, I mean, especially because it was not an original story, right? Like with, um, with, uh, the, uh, Del Toro ones, Ron Perlman, it, those were wholly original stories and yeah. that's why they worked, I think, because they weren't just trying to do a comic with comic two movie. With this, like, there was more pressure because it's the Wild Hunt, and like I just said, it's my favorite one because he finally figured out how to tell a really good story. And uh, within five minutes, man, I'm sitting in the theaters with my brother, and I'm like, "Oh no, this is a bad movie." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, just realizing, you know, I'd gotten hyped up for this thing, and I, I think I need to be disappointed. But the part that really, really got me, and I, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil it. I don't have to. No, but... you're good.
1: Go for it. It's been out for long enough. Yeah. So um, yeah, I didn't
0: want to be the guy that says it. But yeah, at this point, it's your own DM fault, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, in in the book, uh, there's the scene where there's all the giants, right? And Hellboy, he can fight them, but, you know, he he chooses not to. Right. And like, that's a huge moment in the books because he's finally like, okay, I don't have to solve all of my problems with violence. I don't have to be an enemy to everybody. I don't have to do this. He's finally like, no, I'm not going to do it. And he walks away. But then something pulls him in. So he ends up still like murdering all them, but not by his own choice because like something else happens. In the movie, they have that moment where he walks away. And I'm like, yes, that's one of the best scenes in the book. This is great. And then before I can finish that thought, they have him just go, you know what? Fuck it. And he turns around, runs in, and kills all of them. Like, he, like they, oh. they did such a disservice right there. And that's when I was like, nope, this is a terrible movie. I'm never going to watch this movie ever again. You've ruined Hellboy. It was such a betrayal of his character from the books that really sucks yeah that really sucks it yeah. was it was by I far one of the worst that. things I had seen
1: yeah it looking at like when I saw like the the costume design and things like that like so much kind of aesthetically. Like visually about that movie, I was really excited for. Yeah. But then all of the all of the soul of it, like the moment that it released, I was like, ah, oh, like we really kind of bungled that. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Which is which is truly just a shame.
0: Yeah, it was it was pretty awful. Um, I know from from your list on your website, you're a big fan of um Avatar: Last Airbender. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was a big um
1: kind of that was a big not childhood, but like um I was about 13 14 years old around the time that that was coming out. Yeah. Um and that was huge for me, for sure. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Uh my family and I would watch it together quite a bit. Um mostly mostly my siblings but sometimes my parents as well um and that's a tv show that i can go back to uh basically anytime and just feel really good about yeah yeah
0: i'm i'm kind of holding off on watching it again uh because uh, i just had my son and i want to wait till he's older and then watch it with him again and you know if i if i can hold off for like 10 years i mean i know that sounds dumb but it's like, if he's 10 years old and I can introduce him to Avatar, I think I'd be really, really happy to watch it again and and be a part of him watching it for the first time.
1: And yeah, I don't think that's dumb at all, man. I think that's awesome. It's going to be hard, though, great. because
0: he has so many, like, Avatar-themed uh, clothes. So it's going to be like, why do I wear these? And
1: it's like, well, I'll tell
0: you in five years.
1: <laughs> Just give it a second. Just give it a bit. And, uh, and you'll understand everything. Yeah. You'll
0: know when it's time, yeah. when it's time. I, yeah. dude, I loved, yeah. um, I yeah. watched that, uh, for when I was younger and it was first coming out, I was watching it. Um, and then I was in college, like right when the last season was coming out, I had just started college. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine had the second season on DVD and I watched the second season like r- over and over and over again, cause I didn't have internet or. Uh, cable or anything and um i just got obsessed with it and and then my girlfriend she visited me my wife now my girlfriend then visited me and i forced her to watch all three seasons of it and um and so she fell in love with it and um and man i i just i went back and rewatched it again um like probably within the last 2 years and almost immediately there were so many things that I started to pull out of it that really meant a lot, you know, philosophically. And obviously uncle Iroh is like one, one of the wisest characters ever written. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it hit me while I was watching this show. Um, like we, we try to write books by ourselves and these shows, they have entire teams of writers. And I was thinking like, man, why don't we start writing books with teams of people? Because, to have one person's perspective on something is it's great. And obviously we we've come out with some great books, but there's, there's another level of wisdom that can come out of that, of, of having a team of people that you're working with and something to the effect of what Iroh would, was teaching, um, um, uh, Zuko Zuko. in the moment where he's like, you know, showing all four nations and like how, how to channel, electricity through his body, you know? And it's like the wisdom that comes out of that moment, I was like, I could never come up with that by myself ever. And, and so like, that's my limit. Like that, those moments where you just, you Dune and avatar and these things were like, you realize you could have never come up with that by yourself. Does it, does that ever, do you ever get that at all?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I th- so, a little bit of background uh, surrounding the kind of like lead up to the release of Rebellion the Departure. Um, I originally started working on the series that is now these two books and the books that will come after. Uh, I originally started working on those when I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, and then I released them when I was a, uh, right after I graduated from college, right? Okay. Um, and there was like some gaps in between years and things like that. So like all in all, uh, by the end of it, I think if I remember right, um, let's see, I had almost been working on those books for, I'd, I'd been working on them for the better part of a decade, right? Certainly, mm. um, so- A really long time coming and it eventually reached the point where with the first book in particular, which I think like a lot of people who read a lot of books, when I say this, they will probably see this in the book the next time they read it. um, (laughs) If they read it, hopefully they do. Um, But by the time that it came time for the release, I had reached a point where I was like, I just really need to publish this so that I can get it out of the way so that I can get on to the next thing, right? With the next thing being the second book um and i think that i i had thought to myself that it would be some kind of relief or some kind of release uh once it was out there um that i would that i would put it out and it would be done and i could kind of like move forward uh but now there's kind of that pressure of like people are like okay you got the first one like let's see the second let's see the third let's Mm. see the fourth Uh, And there's that pressure to make them better and better and better and better and better. And I do think the second book's better than the first. But there are times where I will kind of like sit back and take a breath and look at all of these stories that I really admire and like and be like, oh, man, like, do I really think uh, that I really can like contribute to this kind of conversation of art? Um, Or... Uh, or am I just uh, some wild child out here uh, playing pretend? which is not a unique crisis of faith. I don't think like a lot of people talk about having imposter syndrome and things like that. Um, but also, I don't know, um, I think I think that those moments of uncertainty, uh, make the moments when something lands uh all the better yeah
0: um yeah like I think, a, like I a think, moment of, uh, of an epiphany is that what you mean like in your writing or I think I think there's
1: lots of moments like epiphanies in the writing um the release of my second book was like way different from the release of my first book um, also like uh, the editing process for the second book was different than my first book. Just generally speaking, moments where you feel uh, that it all just clicks. Yeah, and you are kind of there being a part of it clicking. Yeah. Um, I think those contrast so heavily with those moments of like of feeling the inferiority or or recognizing your shortcomings as an artist. Um, recognizing that and then seeing moments where like your artistry just works. Yeah. Um, those two things, I think counterbalance each other enough that I keep going.
0: Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I think that, uh, I don't know if I found that moment yet, the the clicking together and seeing it just work. I think I've been I've been working towards uh, something like maybe like five different things that could end up clicking at some point and And I'm waiting for one of those to break, you know. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I I have <clears throat> I have my book series that I'm, I'm getting ready to release and, and start doing. And my editor is constantly like, hey, these are things you need to fix but you're a good writer. (laughs) Like he knows that I need to hear that because anytime somebody's like, Hey, you misspelled this word or Hey, you didn't do the dialogue properly or anything. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to go kill myself then because what's the point of life? You know, it's like, it's so easy for me to feel, uh, you know, just down on myself that I need, I need those people that to come beside me and partner with me and, and say like, no, you're, you are good. You have that, that skill. And my editor has said, he's like, editing your work is so much more fun than some of the others I've had to do because your stories are good. And I'm not trying to like ring my own bell or anything like that. It's just sure, like, sure. It's nice to hear that because I haven't yeah. had any of that success in, in the world of like, oh, yeah, no, Tyler is good at this. So, like, he can, that's what he's going to do. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to find that, that place.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I 100% hear that. Um, one of the, this is, I'm going to say, this is kind of a moment that's maybe a little counter, uh, to your experience with your editor, but the. The journey, the editing journey, like I said earlier, the editing journey for the first book compared to the second book was very different um, in the sense of the first book, since I self published, I was like basically testing out a bunch of different editors. Mm. um, And the one that I landed on at the end uh, was really good and is very kind and very professional and helped me in a lot of ways, uh, but also was like a little bit less firm and a little bit less hands-on yeah um and there was another editor that i was trying to get feedback from uh while i was writing the first book i would like send bits uh to this editor to try and get just any kind of insight from him uh but he's you know a father and a husband and works like three other jobs oh, geez. um and so he just didn't have the time um and so once the first book finally came out, I sent a copy to his house and said, Hey, uh, here's how it ended up. I hope that you like it. Uh no worries about not being able to have time to give feedback, but I would love your feedback if you have any now.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And a few months afterward, um he invited me over to his house for lunch. Um, we live in the same general area, so he invited me to his house for lunch um and told me that he'd read the book and he had some thoughts and I went over to his house um we ate some lunch kind of had some pleasantries you know talked a little bit back and forth and then once we were done with that he took me to his office and he handed me the copy of the book that I'd given him and he told me to look at the first chapter and each sentence he had eviscerated with oh, red wow. pen just yeah. decimated right nothing nothing had escaped um at least that's that's how i recall it i'm probably (laughs) exaggerating but no matter what there's a lot of there was a lot of red um and he sat me down and for what felt like a very long time he went through all of the problems with the first book yeah um and they were not they were like big uh they they were some pretty big problems um and there are moments like that when you're writing where like people will just like pinpoint like here are all of your flaws yeah um and and it's it's super brutal yeah. at the end of at the end of that exchange I definitely was like holy cow is there any way that I can just delete my first book <laughs> is there any way that I can just take it back yeah. right can I can I just erase this somehow um 100 was was something that i came away feeling um but at the end of the conversation he was like but uh you having self-published this shows a lot of bravery i will edit your second book pro bono here are some things that you need to start doing here are Mm -hmm. some things that you need to change um and the editing process for the second book i think was a lot better kind of uh as a result um but that's, yeah, that's like great. It That's def- amazing, man. Yeah, no, it really, it really worked out well. But I guess kind of what I'm, where I'm getting to with that is I think um, uh, a lot of people that I've talked to about writing oftentimes kind of treat it as like, oh, you sit and daydream for yeah. a prolonged period of time, right? Like it's kind of like they treat it as though it's this very fluid thing uh, this very like effortless thing that just kind of like flows out of a select few people in the world. Right. Um, and this is no new revelation, right? Like any professional writer of any salt has said what I'm about to say. Um, and so I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel or anything like that. But like, like writing is a gritty, difficult, uh, just like mud run of a task oftentimes where you just kind of are like, pulling yourself through yeah uh to the best of your ability um and uh and then and then uh and then it works um <laughs> at some point at, yeah at some point and
0: some point it just kind of at some point it works I, and um, i i think it's i i do think that it is a it's a hard thing to ask someone to be honest and it's a hard thing for a lot of people to be honest right like i've i got mad at my family because i wrote a book almost 10 years ago and i was like this is great first draft i'm done i'm gonna be published it's gonna be wonderful showed it to some family and they're like oh yeah this is great good job tyler and i was like no i want your real opinion they're like yeah this is my real opinion there's some things you can fix but it's mostly good and then, uh, and then I let it sit for like five years, five or six years. I wrote some other stuff. I got better at writing. I read some books and got better at writing and opened up that first draft book. And I'm like, why did everyone lie to me? Why the hell did everybody lie to me? This is a piece of crap. This is so bad. And, uh, and so I, I was like, okay, I need to find people that will be honest because the people I've chosen – they're not going to be The family will never be honest with you not as honest as you need them to be at least and so I, I did make some friends that i trust are more honest and um like i i just got beta reading uh feedback back this last week from three of my beta readers um and i realized that i need more i need more beta readers because the people i chose um their their opinions are valid and they're very useful opinions but I've realized that what I'm writing is very specific. It's an experiment Mm. and, um, not everyone's going to like it, you know? And Mm. they weren't coming back saying, you know, they weren't coming back with feedback where it's like, these are small things you need to fix. They're like, this is a fantasy and they're using modern lingo. They're like saying dude Mm. and man and bro. And, and so two of my, two of my, um, uh beta readers are just like i just it's hard it's hard for me to read it when i know this is fantasy and they're talking like that and i was like yeah but i'm doing something specific here do you understand that and they're like yeah but uh i don't know it just bugs me (laughs) it's like okay so i need to find people who are able to get past that part you know and yeah so i there is a process to finding the right person to give you the critiques that you need. You need to find someone who's honest, someone who's on the same wave, wave length as you, someone who is who understands how hard it is to hear what you're about to hear, but is strong enough to do it anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really big thing. And I also think kind of to the point of what you're talking about, also just like finding your audience is huge as yeah. well right? Uh, because once you find them, then you are writing to someone Yeah. Um, in instead of just kind of writing and sending it out into the ether, which is also like, don't want to undersell that, right? Like that's, that's totally valid. And for most of my time writing, that's kind of what I've done is just write and send stuff into the ether. Um, but once you, once you kind of find the audience and and get to kind of understand who it is that clicks with your stuff, then it makes it all the more easy to actually write.
0: And to be confident in your writing because yeah. for the exact reason I just gave, you know, two out of my three beta readers came back and a year and a half ago, if they had told me that same stuff, I would have been like, well, I have to start over. I have to quit and I have to do something completely different. And now, I look at and I go, okay, I appreciate those, those bits of feedback and I'm going to utilize stuff that I can, but it's not going to waver me from what I'm actually, what I'm trying to do here.
1: Sure. 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 Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So I know uh, we've got a little bit of time left. I know that you've got two books out, um, but but you have some more stuff coming out uh, soon, right? You've been working on, you were talking at the top of the show, you were talking about some D and D stuff which obviously yeah. worked my ears because, um, I, I need more, I need to spend more money on miniatures and dice and books and everything. D and D
1: of course, of course, there's <laughs> never, there's never enough. There must always be more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the moment I am currently going through the play testing process for three classes that I've made for fifth edition, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I was raised, uh, in a very kind of board gamey house. Uh, my dad has like over 250 board games. So like rules, rules have like always been something that have been interesting to me and the way that they work and things like that. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so a bit ago I decided that I'd go ahead and, uh, kind of take that love of rules and mechanics and all that stuff and see if I can, Uh, Direct it towards something creative. Uh, The product of that are uh, three uh, classes of my own creation called the Commander, the Inheritor, and the Skirmisher. Um, The um, man, how to best describe the three? Uh, The commanders, I guess, kind of each of these classes I made uh, to kind of address a part of Fifth Edition D and D. Uh, that I think could be improved Mm. Um, and so the commander kind of the specific uh, the specific goal there was to make it so that your party could function better as a unit Um, Mm. because I think that In general, the classes that currently exist in Fifth Edition D&D make really great individuals, but rarely, if ever, kind of create good uh, team synergy, Hmm. as it were. Right? Like, oftentimes, uh, where you all stand compared to one another doesn't really change anything. Sure. Um, If if you guys like get into some kind of military formation, usually you actually end up getting punished. Uh, By the rules system of fifth edition not rewarded. Oh wow. Um, And so I think a lot of people kind of like go into it uh, with some ideas or with some like thoughts in their head of things that would be cool and then the rules of 5e kind of uh, Kick them in the backside and they're like, oh, never mind. That's not the way that this game works Hmm. so the commander I kind of made in order to um, in order to uh, address that Uh, They have battle tactics, uh, which they can kind of like use as actions or bonus actions uh, to move themselves and their allies around the battlefield and also get passive bonuses depending on like what their positioning is on the battlefield. Mm, Um, There's a pretty long list of tactics, so they kind of get to cater to their desires. If they're a ranged commander, they'll probably pick different ones than if they're right in the thick of it. Um, and then also kind of like the other big baseline, uh, mechanic that gets tweaked in different ways by the subclasses is called the direct order, uh, which makes it so that as a bonus action, uh, you can give a command for one of your allies to use their reaction to attack an enemy, right? You can say, Hey, the boss shoot him. Um, and they can do that either with a cantrip or with a, or with a weapon attack of any kind. Hmm. Um, they can only do that a certain number of times per day. And as they level up, they can kind of like give that attack different benefits and things like that. But those are kind of like the two foundational parts of the class. The The general idea was to kind of take the uh, the Battlemaster fighter and make it so that the Battlemaster fighter didn't just do stuff alone. But, uh, yeah. but instead... Yeah, because there's is like agreed. the
0: one Battlemaster maneuver where you can give up your action to let somebody else do something and I've always been a big fan of that sort of play where it's like okay I'm I'm going to utilize that as much as I can because I'm going to be the gruff old captain you know that's that's going to do yeah. that uh, the other yeah. equivalent I think would be kind of uh, the, the mastermind uh, rogue yeah. which allows that's you to give people aid or help or whatever from 30 feet away as a bonus action that's huge like huge. Yeah. You can effectively yeah. every round give somebody uh advantage on their attacks and you're still throwing daggers, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and it's a it's a really cool tactic. I think I've built probably like four or five different multi-class characters u- utilizing the mastermind uh class subclass.
1: Yeah, 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 that's a good comparison too. I hadn't actually thought of that one, but that's a that's a good comparison as well. So that's the commander, Uh, the um, inheritor uh, at the moment is um, I I think design wise, the inheritor is maybe the most challenging of the three, Mm. uh, which also makes it probably the most exciting to me as well. Um, But the general idea was, I don't, I feel like um, from the classes that currently exist, we kind of get a particular narrative, which is that if you are descended from something magical, you cast spells, right? Because the sorcerer is, is the only class that kind of facilitates that story. Sure. Um, and the sorcerer is a fundamental, fundamentally spell-casting class. Yeah. So the goal, the goal with the inheritor was to uh, make it so that you could make a character who has this inheritance right Uh, maybe uh, they are the descendant of a demigod um, or one of the subclasses is called lineage of heroes uh, which is like if you are king arthur the next of his line or he-man even right like whatever the case or even like you're a lycanthrope is another subclass Mm. um general idea is you have inherited this supernatural inheritance Um, But instead of it just turning you into another spellcaster, it manifests in a very physical way. Um, So the class, uh, the primary stat for the class is constitution, Mm -hmm. uh, which is another kind of like design difference from a lot of the classes that currently exist in 5e. Um, And then a lot of the abilities that it has, there's kind of part of the goal with the class was to make it so that each inheritor has kind of a tension between themselves and the inheritance that they've inherited right Uh, there as you're wielding these powers that are greater than you there are moments where you can push yourself to do more but you uh you run the risk of being overwhelmed by the powers flowing inside of you Hmm. um and so a lot of the um A lot of the abilities in the Inheritor as it currently stands require you to make charisma saving throws and things like that to kind of wrestle control of yourself from these uh, stronger, these powers that are stronger than you that you're trying to wield. Um, So that's kind of the general premise of that one. And then last but not least is the Skirmisher. Um, And the Skirmisher, I just wanted to be, I just wanted to make a really hyper mobile class um so Starting that's basically what it's going. yeah 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 like the the idea is that uh by uh moving a lot by dodging a lot things like that you can build up levels of momentum which you can then burn uh to perform exploits oh. um so you kind of become this really hypermobile fighter who's running in and out of enemy lines and like slashing and hacking as they're going, uh, but very hard to punish—a uh, yeah. very kind of elusive, maneuvering uh, type. So that's uh, those are the three. That's that's kind of a big project that I'm working on at the yeah. moment. Yeah,
0: that's super cool, man. I mean, I've I've created maybe a couple of ideas for classes before. I did one for uh, Players Guild that uh, we were looking at doing in season two. Um, where basically I just I I hate that uh druids and rangers are so divided when I feel like they should be mm. they're basically the same. I mean, I the beastmaster ranger I should say. Um, sure. So I I basically did I combined like the ranger and the druid and then I made it like really dark and scary where it's like basically uh these this druid circle they they are born on the same day as an animal and then they spirit bond with the animal and then uh, when they're ready to be inducted into the circle they have to sacrifice the animal and then basically they can summon it using their wild shape and as they grow in power so too does their spirit animal and it manifests in different ways and it just you know like it it solves the problem of the the ranger where you get this beast but it's always going to be a quarter And you're going to send your jaguar to fight a friggin' demigod. And it's like, no, no, I want it to grow with me. I want to be able to send my spirit animal to go fight that thing. And so it was really, really built around that mechanic of of having that kind of that connection, that dark, scary connection to the undead, but natural world sort of thing. Um, And then the only one I ever did other than that was back in the day, I... (laughs) <laughs> I came up with one it was called the fan the, like uh the, okay. the fan um and there was there's two subclasses there's uh there's the apprentice and the cosplayer and um basically the apprentice has no has no skills almost at all um okay they have one thing that they can do and that's basically I forgot. It's been like maybe five, three or five years since I've looked at it. But basically, when you're next to another player, you can mimic them. You can do what they just did, like what they just did. So, if you're standing next to a spellcaster and they shoot firebolt, you can also shoot firebolt. If you're standing next to a a barbarian and they cut someone with a great axe, if you have a great axe, you can do the same thing. You get the same proficiency because you're watching them and getting better. And then, like, as that grows you can like basically um catalog something that you've seen someone else do within a period of time and so then you can like spend it almost like a like a um bardic inspiration or maneuver thing from the battle master and so then you can be like well i once saw you know within the last time frame i saw this wizard cast this spell so now i'm gonna do that um and so then as you level up you you get to pick and choose like what do you like eventually you can permanently have certain abilities attuned to you or whatever but then you can always do whatever somebody else is doing next to you um and then the cosplayer was basically like you dress as the other characters uh and you get their skills and proficiencies and as long as you the only thing you're good at is disguising yourself you have a disguise kit and you're good at that and then if you spend a long rest putting on an outfit that's like another character then you gain their proficiencies and that was that was it it's
1: it's fun stuff designing uh designing stuff for d and i really seeing other people make a lot of like homebrew things and things like yeah. that like it's really exciting i think it's really cool
0: I think that's what 5e did right as they opened it up for the world to play in the sandbox.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the explosion of like outside design is is really cool. I think kind of to the point of, of uh, the first thing that you talked about, just going through all the different solutions... Uh, that people have come up with for the Beastmaster Ranger, right? Mm-hmm. Since it is so widespread acknowledged. It's so cool to see all of the different solutions that have been devised that provide such different and cool answers to that, right. Yeah. And like many of them are like, really like aesthetically interesting mechanically well-made and yet uh go about accomplishing it in totally different ways and i think that's really cool
0: yeah it just shows the creativity of of uh people that like the difference in all the creativity it's really cool Absolutely. absolutely uh do you have anything else you wanted to chat about i mean i'm i'm happy to just keep talking nerd stuff all night man we can go We'll go sleeping bags and flashlights. We'll have a whole... We'll make a fort out of it.
1: That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think maybe uh, one thing that did come to mind while we were talking... I don't, I don't know if uh, there's quite enough... Uh, I don't know. I'll just say what I'm going to say, and then we can go from there. But while we were talking um one thing that came to mind there there is a company called mcdm productions that i feel like a fair number of people in the D D space know about but a decent number of people don't um i am in no way affiliated with them i'm just a huge fan and whenever i think about like game design particularly in fifth edition i think about these guys um so I just, I guess I thought maybe I'd toss that name out there and if anybody's yeah. listening or looking for uh, for some stuff to enhance their fifth edition games that they're currently running, uh, highly recommend this company, MCDM Productions. It is run by Matt Colville, mm-hmm. who many people know from YouTube, uh, thanks to his wildly successful uh, running the game series on there. Uh, but they they've released a lot of stuff that I really like a lot. Uh, they have uh, strongholds and followers and kingdoms and warfare supplements that makes it so that uh, you can have mechanical systems in place for your characters to uh, create kingdoms and run them and get like mechanical benefits in combat and Mm. things like that because of their involvement with those kingdoms uh there's also like a full system for running large-scale warfare uh that i've used a couple of times and really like uh they have uh two classes that they've released so far called the ill rigor and the beast heart both of which i like a lot the ill rigor is kind of an anti-paladin it's also been called the hell knight Mm. um because you're a you serve one of the arch devils. You're basically an arch deviled paladin, and then the beast heart is kind of yet again their response to uh, their disappointment with the uh, beast master ranger. I wonder if Wizards of the Coast ever gets tired of how much uh, we People all shit don't on like it. that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, they should have made it better if they didn't want it to get this much heat.
0: Yeah, but, what do you think you know. happened? What do you like do you think it was like they were like all right, let's start what what class are we going to start on for 5e and they're like ah, oh, let's just start with rangers. Everybody loves rangers. So they started on rangers and then as they go on they're like, "Oh, wait, we can do more and more cool stuff." And then rangers just get left behind cuz they were the they were the cornerstone, the little, you know, starting pack and like, "Yeah, we're we're fine. We got these other cool things. Nobody's going to care."
1: that's a great question that's a great question i think like in general like um looking at the stuff that came out at the start of fifth edition uh you can kind of see in the adventure design and also in some of the character design that maybe wizards of the coast didn't entirely know what fifth edition was going to be yet yeah um particularly because a lot of it design-wise was made to kind of please people from past editions. Um, and, and changes, my understanding is that changes were made during the playtesting of 5th edition, specifically to make it more like 3rd edition or 2nd edition or 3.5, uh, at least kind of in homage, uh, maybe not super mechanically. Uh, for example, um, my, Jeremy Crawford has addressed this a number of totally an intelligence based caster, mm. which like if you look at the narrative of the class and it being this whole like you are a delver of secrets who like uh, after studying long hours has managed to figure out how to bind a devil and yeah. things like that. Right. Like the class itself has a lot of kind of narratives that still support that. Um, but a lot of people were like, but warlock used to be charisma. We want our charisma warlock. <laughs> and so, and so they kept the mechanics entirely the same, but we're like, all right, it's a charisma caster now. Yeah. Right. Um, and now all of our warlocks are the dumbest bricks. You yeah. just get by, by the seat of their pants, They're right?
0: Silver tongue bimbos.
1: Exactly. 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 Um, and so I think that maybe that's just what happened, right? Is Wizard of the Coast I mean, obviously it wasn't a bad idea in the sense of like we all want the Beast Master to work. Yeah. So obviously, like they were on to something with the class. They just execute with the subclass, I should say. They just executed it um in a way that none of us liked. Sure. Uh, and and then years and years went by and they realized oh this is what people liked and they've since tweaked and changed and revised the ranger as best they can to try and make it more like that do you think they're gonna
0: overcompensate for for sixth edition and make like ranger op and be like all right that's a really good question we're gonna make it we're gonna make it badass
1: that's a really good question i if any if they were gonna overcompensate anywhere for six of the sixth edition or 5.5 or whatever we want to call it um i think i think the rangers probably where the compensating would happen just because like it is the most universally made fun of class And I think like there's probably someone's probably going to listen to this and be like, I love Rangers. And I think a lot (laughs) of people that actually play the Ranger do end up liking it. Uh, But just enough people have a bad taste in their mouth from, from how its original subclasses were handled. Yeah. um, That they just don't like it. I think.
0: I know. um, Have you ever seen or watched or uh, heard the show Fables of Refuge?
1: I have not. No, is that is that an actual play? Yeah, what is it that? is.
0: It is. It's okay. uh, it's a really good one. We've had some guests on our show. Um, we're friends with Ally uh, Fitzgerald, who is uh, one of the players there, and she talks a lot about how she's always played a ranger. She loves rangers so much; they're her absolute favorite. Uh, but for some reason, for the for the show Fables, she decided to play a sorceress, and then. Uh, one of the other players was like, all right, I'm going to be a ranger then. And immediately chose to play a sword heavy ranger. And, uh, and Ali's like, no, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and then is like constantly <laughs> trying to teach uh, the other player. Like, this is how you play a ranger. Stop ruining rangers because there's a specific way you're supposed to play it. So I know that there's, there's some ranger love out there. I know we, we got some people that are like 5e rangers are okay with me it'll be all right oh yeah oh yeah
1: <laughs> um if i remember right from like the dnd tiktok crowd i think dm strife wolf really likes rangers i think mm-hmm. rain gal 17 really likes rangers there there are a couple there are a couple of them out there who just really really like rangers but but yeah i think it's just the I think a lot of it just kind of boils down to uh, Wizards of the Coast not entirely knowing what they were shooting for uh, when they first wrote the player's handbook and yeah. just kind of uh, missing the most uh, with the Ranger.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mason, I have to say this has been such a fun conversation. I genuinely think that you and I could probably talk for like five hours we could do a full like Joe Rogan Style podcast and just go for like three or four hours just forever. Um, I I'm really happy that we got to kind of connect and uh, I'm excited to follow you some more on TikTok and see see what comes out of this conversation and like Ooh. what you're gonna go and uh, rant about on your on your uh, channel or what do you call a TikTok at your your TikTok I guess account <laughs> yeah yeah account yeah yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, i i hope that everyone will uh go and check out mason's books uh rebellion there's two books uh rebellion the first book is the departure correct uh and yeah then, and then the second one is uh prison break that yep that classic yep. 2000s uh tv show made into a book but no i'm joking it's not, it's not <laughs>
1: oh i hope not (laughs) but um, Um, if it if it brings in more readers sure uh where do
0: you where do you want to send people where where should people go check out your stuff where's the best place uh
1: that's a great question yeah if uh if people would like to purchase the book the best place to go for that is just go to amazon and search uh rebellion the departure or rebellion prison break Um, either of those works great Uh, there is also my website mrmasonallen.com which there's little bits and pieces of that that I should probably update but largely um, it is up to speed and I do my best to keep it that way Um, you can also feel free to check me out on tiktok uh, at professor dnd those are probably the
0: best uh, best spots to find me All right, man and with that I uh, am going to have a very awkward goodbye to our listeners uh, as I try to come up with a new, uh, new outro. That's just—it's escaping me at the moment. I'll think of it tonight when I'm laying in bed, and uh, or in the shower or something, and then I'll yell it. And my wife is going to be like, "What's going on?" I'll be like, "I don't know. I just thought of was And with that, in classic creative fact. <laughs> and with that, we shall say uh, good night, uh, ghoul gang and stay safe.